Um, also, if you're new, we do have contact cards in the pew in front of you or in the seat in front of you. Also, to, just to fill out information, if you'd like to know more about our church or get connected with me, uh, please do that. Also, there's a QR code and the Welcome to Faith as part of your bulletin that you can scan and put all that information in online. And uh, either way, that'll get to us and we, we want to connect with you if you would like to. Uh, no pressure, but there it is. Um, now, would you turn to uh, Exodus, Exodus chapter 23. Um, we um, have been in Exodus for a while, a couple weeks, no, like months. It's been good. I, I, man, I've enjoyed it. I hope you all have um, just seeing this God at work in the midst of His people, God keeping His covenant with them, delivering from, them from slavery, you know, bringing them out from Egypt, taking them into the wilderness. And we, we're, still, we're still now, we've been for a while, for a number of chapters, uh, at the foot of Sinai. And it was there that God spoke uh, in an audible, thunderous, like many trumpets voice, the, His Ten Commandments. And then Moses goes up, to the mountain, up to the top, and receives this, these laws, these ordinances, which are applications of the Ten Commandments. So we're reading now from, from, um, from the kind of middle of chapter 20 through the end of chapter 23. This is called the Book of the Covenant. And it's the application or case law of, of the, uh, for Israel as a nation. Um, and and we've seen that we've we've looked at it last two weeks of all the ways that these the 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 prescriptive eternal law the decalogue the ten the ten commandments are applied in the nation of Israel. These are not to be applied to us now necessarily word for word, but they are nonetheless applications of God's ten commandments. And you know we've said before I said in previous weeks that. At least we are to take away that we are to be applying God's Ten Commandments to our lives. Like that should be something we're striving to do. How does God's uh, word, this this prescriptive, uh, forever word in the Ten Commandments, is describing Himself, His revealing Himself, and how we are made to be? Ideally, uh, we're we're made to be like Him, and so He's 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 giving us that. How are we to be applying that? to our life on this side of, of Christ's coming. And so there, there still are things we can learn from this law, this, these ordinances that are given specifically to the nation of Israel, um, this theocracy um, under God. Uh, so we're looking at that, and we're looking at the last of the, um, the, last of the laws given. It's not the last word of the book of the covenant, but it's the last of the legal aspect of it, and we're looking at that here. Also, you know, we're looking at other passages. If you've read ahead in the book of Exodus, you'll note that there's a lot of repetition. And so, as we finish out this book, um, we're going to be combining some passages. Um, uh, Not because I don't like repetition. Ask my kids. They know I like to say the same thing over and over and over. 
Uh, and God's Word, we need it because God's Word says the same thing over and over and over. If you've started reading through the Bible, if you started getting through reading through the Pentateuch, you realize, okay, a lot of what's in Leviticus has already been said. A lot of what's in Deuteronomy was said in Exodus. God, we, why? Because we need to hear it again and again and again and again. And again, uh, Jesus didn't come to do away with the Old. He came to fulfill it. So as we read the New Testament, we're reading what? A lot of the Old Testament again and again and again, elaborated upon. So... You know, repetition is good, but we are going to combine these, these last three sections that have to do with the Sabbath. So with all that said, let's go to God again in prayer and ask Him for help. Uh, help to preach, help to hear, help to understand His Word. Let's pray. Lord God, we are thankful uh, again for the Word that You have given us. We th- we're thankful for the, the clarity, the fullness of it. Um, and the clarity that comes because you, Holy Spirit, inspire it to be written, and it's you that illuminates it, that that allows us to understand it, Lord. So we come humbly asking, Holy Spirit, uh, help me to speak words of truth, to rightly apply this uh, to your people, and help us all to have ears to hear and hearts that are receptive to your word this morning. Help us to see you, to see Jesus more clearly, even as we read these laws from the Old Testament. Help us to see you and delight in you and be grateful for our relationship with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We have our verses here. Exodus 23, starting with verse 10. For six years you shall sow your land and gather in its yield. But the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow, that the poor of your people may eat, and what they leave the beast of the field may eat. You shall do likewise with your vineyard and with your olive orchard. Six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may have rest, and the son of your, of your servant woman and the alien may be refreshed. Pay attention to all that I have said to you. And make no mention of the names of other gods, nor let it be heard on your lips. Three times in the year you shall keep a feast to me. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread, as I commanded you. You shall eat unleavened bread for seven days at the appointed time in the month of Abib. For in it you came out of Egypt. None shall appear before me empty-handed. You shall keep the feast of harvest of the first fruits of your labor, of what you sow in the field. You shall keep the feast of ingathering at the end of the year when you gather in from the field the fruit of your labor. Three times in the year shall all your males appear before the Lord God. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with anything leavened or let the fat of my feast remain until morning. The best of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Now skipping ahead to Exodus 31, which is the section about constructing the tabernacle. Okay, so we'll skip ahead. And this is how that this section is begins and ends. 31 and 35. And the Lord said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I am the Lord, that I, the Lord, sanctify you. 
You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And he gave to Moses, when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai, the two tablets of testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. And then Exodus 35, 1-3 Moses assembled all the congregation of the people of Israel and said to them, These are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do. Six days work shall be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a Sabbath of solemn rest. Holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire in all your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Um... I have lately been watching a lot of NBA basketball. Have y'all? It's the playoffs. Some of y'all don't care. That's fine. But I've been watching it and, uh, you know, uh, good game six last night. Miami almost beat Boston. I don't, none of you seem to really be that engaged. It's not football, so why would we care? Anyway, um, but uh, it, something I've, I've been hearing, there's this a lot of talk because there's a, a rookie coach and a very experienced coach in these two teams. And, and some of the, the pundits, the, the, you know, the journalists, journalists uh, that talk on, on the various shows are, have been arguing about how much the coach really contributes to a team's success. And it's a good question because you think about it. A professional athlete, right, especially a, a professional basketball player, do they not know how to play basketball by now? You ever thought about that? I mean, it's really weird. You know, like they, they should know how to, to do defense, to defend, and to score. And so a lot of people like, the coach really doesn't matter. And sometimes you hear the timeouts. You ever watch and you hear the timeouts and they're going, all right, let's just uh, let's play defense. Let's be tenacious. A lot of like, you know, it's just a lot of adjectives about how to play. It's not really, you know, sometimes they'll drop a play. And then and one, one team, the coach just let the player sit in the coach's chair and let him do it. it was, so there, there's this debate, how important is the coach with the team's success? But um, I, even though these guys know how to play the game, I, I, I do, as I've seen it, watch the game, especially Miami, and they have a really good coach, someone still needs to be the coach, right? Someone still has to establish a plan, for team development and develop team cohesion. Individuals don't do that. Uh, uh, That's usually through a routine and through practice and meetings. Someone needs to come up with a strategy for overcoming the opponent. Uh, The coaches make sure that each player contributes and gets to also, they gets to play to their maximum by 
playing hard, but then resting them when they need rest, right? I mean, a good coach is watching, all right? Even LeBron is 38 now. If you watch, LeBron doesn't play the whole... He, he, sometimes he plays the whole game, but that next game, he ain't playing the whole game because he's 38. And he's tired, and he needs break. And so you got to watch. Who needs, who needs to sit? Who's going to go in? And make sure everybody gets their rest. They can play at their best. Um, he makes sure that they can catch their breath. Someone has to keep reminding them of their motivation. And again, that's the weird thing. You know, I'm going, if I was getting paid millions of dollars and I knew if I won a championship I'd get more endorsements why do I need someone going remember we're here to win like I know but you uh, if you've ever played this you know you kind of lose that you lose focus and so um, they're, they're always telling the obvious thing the thing they already know but what's your motivation and they also have to keep reminding them of the basics you know a lot of y'all don't watch NBA basketball because why they don't play defense. And they travel all the time. <laughs> and it's like, what is this even basketball? You know, like, what? Do, do, and you're like, these guys are, they played for 30, 20 years. You know, they were born and somebody, sorry, their dad put a ball in their hand. And you know, and they've been playing and they still forget basic stuff. And the coach tells them. So again, I, I, I'm convinced the coach has a vital role even to the professional. Now, where is this going? We need regular coaching. We need someone to keep to give us, remind us of our motivation. We need someone to make sure we rest. We need someone outside of ourselves to give, tell us the basics of living. And I just I'm convinced that you know, God has given us a pattern, a routine, and made a made a made a time. For us to be refreshed and focused and renewed and, and, and to be set apart as a specific people to himself. And, and so that, you see, you see the connection there. Um, this Sabbath principle, this word from God, though, again, the book of the covenant is for, yeah, the nation of Israel... God speaks, and He speaks especially again and again and again. The, 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 the commandment He talks about most often in the Old Testament actually is the fourth commandment. And so, we, we need that. We need this outside word. We need God to speak in, not just the gospel, but a routine and a for living, a time for refreshment, and to help motivate us and keep us focused on the goal. And so that's, that's my three points, really. That why do we need this? Why has God given this fourth commandment? Why has He elaborated upon it for the people of Israel? Well, first is, the first point is, He gives a routine for living. He gives here a routine for living, a routine for life. Second, he gives refreshment in life. He wants us to be refreshed. And then thirdly, the third reason he gives us this command is so that we can relish the promise. Routine for living, refreshment in life, and and relishing the promise. So first, a routine for living. Look, look at this, this final legal section of the book of the covenant. Um, we see here, um, it, you know, 
a routine for living. It's very obvious, right? There's a, a seven-year cycle for the life of Israel. There's a seven-day cycle for the life of Israel. And then there's an annual routine for the people of Israel. Uh, the seven-year cycle, you see that it talks about the land and the land having rest. And that's, that's the first time we see that here in the Scriptures. We've talked about the Sabbath, in, again, in, yes, in chapter 20, but before as he was establishing the Passover and in chapter 16, this, this resting and, 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 and because of God's rest when he created all things on the seventh day, that they are to rest. But now we see a seven-year cycle, a year, seven-year cycle. And we want the land to rest. And it's interesting why he does that. You know, I think we have, we have discovered, if you're a farmer or, or, you know, or research that, you know that there's actually an agricultural advantage to letting land rest or lay fallow. That it actually, you know, that, that, you know later on we discovered that if you plant, plant different crops and rotate crops and let the, let the land rest, that it actually becomes more fertile and you grow better crops in the long run. You know, again, it makes sense. If I just keep planting the same thing year after year, that would be more efficient. But actually stopping... And letting the land recover and rest, then you have a higher yield the next year. Um, and so, you know, that, that's actually a scientific fact. That, that's just true. Uh, but here, God says what? He goes, I want you to let the land rest. That every seven years, you just do that. Now, you might be thinking, does that mean every seven years, no one planted anything? <laughs> it was probably rotated. There's probably a rotation. You know, you didn't let... You planted some of your fields and then you let one rest and just rotated them out. But every, you know, every seven years it is to rest. And but why? Why? It's, it's not just for the land's sake. It's, uh, it's a humanitarian aspect to it, isn't it? He goes, I want you to let the land rest for the benefit of the poor. Because what's going to happen? Those, those crops are going to grow back. The seeds are going to fall. And there'll be food there, and those without land, those who are, who are in debt, those who are alienated, this is like Israel's welfare system. If, if, you, if you are without food, there's somebody nearby that's got, a, uh, got a, a property, a field that is fallow, and you can go and gather grain there. It's also a way to take care of the animals, which is interesting, right? You know, some of you I've talked to, Ed land and people with cattle and stuff and talk about the price of hay and that's something I don't know anything about you know and you know he says I used to you know there was a, a you know too much rain or not enough rain and then you don't have enough hay and you have to go buy the hay and it, anyway some of anybody know talk to Ed anyway I've talked to him about it uh, uh, but it's you know but here's this there's a system of, you know God's put in place you, how are you going to feed your animals well do this. And there'll be food. I'm providing not only for you and for the poor, but you provide for your animals as well. Um, and there's this cycle, there's this pattern to, the, to your years. There's also, he, he goes and says an, uh, again and reiterates this cycle of the days. There's a seven-year seven year cycle for the land. There's a seven-day cycle for, for people. This, it's, it's one's years and one's days, but this Sabbath pattern is, is still the same. And, you know, what does Sabbath mean? It comes from a Hebrew word, Shabbat, which means to stop or cease. And he's saying, you're not made to just work all the time. You're also not made to rest all the time. And some, sometimes we've, we lose that. 
And who struggles with not working? Who struggles with working too much? It's both. I mean, think about it. We, we, we struggle to rest when we should rest. We struggle to work when we should work. And, and God says, uh, let me tell you how to do it. <laughs> it is a struggle. You're, you're broken. You're sinners. Let me tell you. Work six. Rest one. We, we need... There's, there's, he says, you're, I've, you're made in my image and in my very act of creation... I created six, and then I stopped. This is what you're made. This is how life works best. The land yields more on the seven-year cycle. You and I yield more work on a on this seven-day cycle. There it is. So there's a, a year a year cycle for the land, a, a seven day cycle for the, and then there's a there's a pattern to each year that God establishes. And y'all might not be these are things we don't talk about a lot, but here they are. There are these feasts. You know? And just right there, just think about it. This is a feast. If you're okay, if I told you there's going to be a worship service, a special worship service, you might go, I don't know. Mm. Let's say there's going to be a feast at the church. You're like, I'm there. Right? Just the name of it. It's not, it's not a burden. Something. We read this and sometimes, and I don't know if you've done this, you read the Old Testament. Like, you've got to do this feast and that feast and that feast. I'm like, man, that sounds awful. Man, you got... And then I go, wait, that's a feast, right? This is a celebration. He's saying, I want you to stop working and take a break. And I'm like, that sounds good, right? Do y'all like breaks? Who works hourly? That 30-minute break? Oh, man. You live for that, right? I need a break. I had a job where I worked. I got 15-minute breaks as a teenager. And it was like, oh, 15 minutes. And I go, where did the time go? Okay, back. As a cashier, you know, scanning groceries. But that 15 minutes was awesome. Anyway, you, you want breaks. And he's going, I want you to take a break. And I want you to have a feast. And Because I want you to stop and do what? What were these feasts for? Well, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, as we've covered many times, we've seen it throughout in, in, in Exodus, is a memorial of the Exodus, right? They had to, you, you didn't have time to let the bread rise. You got up, you got your stuff, and you were out because God said, it's time to go. I have, I have you know, I've hardened Pharaoh's heart, but now he's let, he said, go, get out, and, and let's go. And they left and with just what they had, which was that unleavened bread. And so, so it's a time to remember what God did. And that lasted seven days. Again, seven comes back. And it ends with what? The Passover feast. To commemorate that wonderful, that, that, that redemptive, redeeming event of the Passover where God passed over the people who put the blood of the Lamb over their doorposts because it's by the a sacrifice that they're forgiven. And so, again, remember this. Keep doing this. Um, it's, it's, it's every year, and the feast lasts seven days. There's a pattern. Uh, next is the Feast of Harvest. And later on, it'll be called the Feast of Weeks. And what was this there for? It was to, it was to celebrate that Yahweh is the provider of the crops. It's when the, the first yields came in of the, of the crops. What an amazing thing. That's a good, that's a good day. You know, who has a garden? Who enjoys hoeing and weeding? 
Nobody. Maybe a few of you. I don't know. But what's the cool thing? When you see that ripe tomato on the vine, that's cool. That's amazing. And you know, and again, and you know, we're tend to go, look what I did. Look at did you make the seed? Did you make the plant? Did you bring the water? Well, maybe you paid for it, you know. But God, that's God's yield. And he goes, you, you stop and you cease and you celebrate and bring me the first fruits because I'm your provider. And I bring what you need to you. Later on, uh, when, when, when the Greek world, you know, when, when Greece expanded and, and, and Hebrews and believers spoke in Greek, they, they began to call this Pentecost. Because it happens 50 days after the Sabbath of Passover. And that's when... At the day of Pentecost, we know what happens there. There is this different kind of harvest. There's this, this you know, yield of believers coming in. It, has a, it takes on a different shape, but that was the day of Pentecost. And so it was this feast of harvest. That's when that happened. Uh, so it's to celebrate God's provision. And finally, there's this feast of ingathering, uh, which is later called the Feast of Tabernacles in the New Testament. But it celebrates the end of the agricultural year. When the, the last of the harvest comes in. The beginning of the harvest and the end of the harvest. God gives. God provides. Stop and remember. And it's also there to commemorate God sustaining Israel in the wilderness. Just as He's given these crops in the promised land. Remember how He yielded every day except for the Sabbath. Manna from heaven for you. He is the great provider. And so, for Israel, why does he do this? Why does he give these routines, this, this year, these seven-year routine, this annual routine, this weekly routine? It's because why? For Israel, God is to come first and last. In the beginning of the book of the covenant, chapter 20, verse 24, it, he begins with talking about the altar. And we see that it begins with you realize that I come to meet with you. I am here on the mountain and I come to meet with my people. And then it ends with this section where God's people go to meet with Him. It ends with, it says that all the men shall come to Him and gather to Him and be in His presence three times a year. The men are to bring the sacrifices, the first fruits, the lambs, the goats at these, at, these, at these feasts and bring them unto the Lord. That that this relationship with God is not only to be a big part of their life, it's to, to find the very routine and ebb and flow of life. And God says, I, I, you will need to stop and consider who I am and our relationship, not just once a year, not just twice a year, three times a year. You need to stop and realize that I'm the one who keeps you and sustains you, not just, not just once a month or once a year, but every week. You need to realize that I'm the one that provides and, and loves you, not by just not planting that field you know, every 50 years, but, but once every seven years. I need you to, to realize that have your whole life shaped around and conformed to my love, my provision for you. Motier, a theologian and a writer of commentaries that I really love, he says, God merits entrance into all of life. All of life is his arena, 
And for all of life, He has prescriptions and ideals. On the other side of the picture, the Lord's people have a duty to bring all of life under the scrutiny of His Word. So God gives a routine for living. How does that apply to us? He's given us, I think, and I think this still, this still uh, applies to you and me. And, and again, gladly the consequences don't apply. What does it say here? Multiple places. Yeah, uh, death. Death. You work on the Sabbath, death. You work from the Sabbath, you're cut off. Now, again, this is application of God's Word. This is descriptive of God's, of the nation of Israel in this time. Not for us. But why is that not? It's because of the death of Jesus. That's why these penalties aren't held to you and me. That Christ has died. Christ has kept the law perfectly for you and for me. And we're no longer look at the law as something that just condemns, but it convicts. And we're turned to God in repentance. But God says, for you to thrive, for you to have to be in a right relationship with me, to, 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 you need this Sabbath principle to play out in your life. That left to our own devices, we will not be good stewards of our time. And just look at Grant, his freshman year in college. <laughs> just go back with me to the fall of 97 and the spring of 98. And, and then after I've done college ministry, I realize... Young adults are not good at understanding how to manage time. And again, as adults we are, because we will find something else to build our life around. God says, look, let's try this. I made you. I love you. Do it this way. Take time to stop. Take time to to rest. Take time to be refreshed, not just from taking a nap or sleeping in, but again, what what were these these all these things, these these feasts? It was to stop and what? To be turned to Yahweh, to turn to God. And again, that's what the Sabbath is for now. Not not just to to take a nap. And I'm a big fan of naps on Sunday. Who else is? Raise your hand. Good nap is great if you can do it. Okay? But it's also it's more than that. It's to be reminded of who we really are. Who provides? Who's the one who works and never slumbers nor sleeps? Who's the one that sustains? Who's the one that loves us? Who's the, who's the one that has us? He says you need to pattern your life around this because we so easily forget these things. Again, look at Israel. They had these in place. And what? They still struggle to remember who the lover of their soul really was, who their God really was. Again, we have some weird things I want to say real quick. These real things about not you know, eating blood with leavened bread and not cooking the, 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 the young goat in the mother's milk. You know, you thought I was going to fly over those. Those are actually attributed to Canaanite pagan practices. And so, uh, not because I said, but the much smarter comment, you know, people that write commentary said that this, particularly this, this cooking of the young goat in the mother's milk was a, was a sacrifice or a way to, to sacrifice and, and pay homage to a fertility god of the Canaanites. And he's like, when you go, don't do that. 
Don't do that. And, you know, again, just by application, if that's in your recipe book, tear it out. No, that's not the application. If the application is, he kind of throws in, he goes, don't, don't worship other gods. You notice that? Keep the Sabbath, and then don't, don't worship other gods. Keep the Sabbath, and then don't cook goats in the mother's milk. Why does he keep saying that? Because if we, if we don't remember who our God is, we will find other gods. Our hearts are idol factors. We'll look for something else to devote our lives to. That's why he throws those in, mixes those in. So that's routine for life. It's, it's vital that we have that routine and that our routine for life is not something we come up with, that we trust God with it. Second, refreshment in life. Refreshment in life. We see this word twice here. Twice in the text. In, verse, in chapter 23, 12, and then in 31, 17. And it's a very rare Hebrew word. It actually only appears three times. Uh, it's pronounced nefesh. There it is. Um, but what it means is, it comes from this, the, the noun, which means uh, breath, soul, or life. So how do we interpret that? We say refresh. Another way of saying it is, he stopped to catch his breath. He took a breath. Now, let me ask you. Does, does God need to rest or catch his breath? But it says <laughs> in chapter 31 that he rested and took a breath. Well, there's this way of speaking that's called a, an anthropomorphism. It's when we attribute a human quality to God, like he has us in his hand. You know, and we learn in our children's catechism, God is a spirit, doesn't have a body, right? He's everywhere. Only the Son is taken on flesh, right? The Father is a spirit, doesn't have a body. So he, he takes this in his hand, his grasp, things like that. Even, I believe, when it says God, uh, with Moses later, we're going to see God changes his mind. It got, Moses changes God's mind. I think that's anthropomorphic. He really didn't change his mind. But anyway, that we, we attribute this to God. He doesn't need to take a breath because he's God. A thing I remind my, my daughter of is that a God, a God is, uh, because he's God, he never slumbers nor sleeps. He's always watching over us. He's always working so that we can rest. But, but why does he do this? Again, because he wants us to take a breath. He wants us to he, he did this to be a pattern for you and for me. And my question to you is, are you, are you taking a breath? Are you being refreshed? Do you recognize God wants that for you? And again, I think... Uh, this, this is what goes on in my head. God, if you wanted me to take a breath, then I wouldn't have so much on my plate. Right? If you really wanted me to stop, then why do people, why there's all these demands on my time? And again, that's when this, this, this idea of the six and the one. Do I trust? The, the question is not, God, are you going to give me opportunity? The, the thing is, God says, I have given you opportunity. I have said, if you will stop and rest, it will be okay. And the thing is that I struggle with is believing that. Do you struggle to believe that? That if I stop doing the things 
that it's going to be okay. But if I, if I do the work before me for six and I actually take a day to, to rest in God and be with His people and, and, and yeah, take a nap and help people in need and, 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 and devote myself to His service and just stop. You know, a lot of us like, I don't, I don't believe it's really going to be okay. But God, in loving you and me, wants us to stop and be refreshed. I was talking to someone the other day uh, a friend was showing us uh, pictures of puppies. And, and I said, please don't show those to my children. And I said, you know what a puppy is? A puppy is a joy placebo. And, uh, and I'm going you know, to trademark that. Anyway, um, that'll be the book I write, Joy Placebos. But I just thought about that. There are, there are so many joy and peace placebos that look like refreshment, but really aren't. You know what a placebo is for the people that don't know? Placebo is, a, is a, you know, when you take a pill, and then sometimes they'll do stu- you know, medical studies, where they'll give you the medicine, but then there's a control group who thinks they're getting the medicine, and they're really just getting like a sugar pill or something, and to see if it's just the power of positive thinking, or the fact that I'm taking the medicine, you know, the, the pill, oh, yeah, I'm doing better. But they're really going to see, does this actually work? But they give some, one half a placebo and the other half the actual medicine. And so it really, it looks like medicine, it looks like a cure, but it's really not. And, man, I mean, as I thought about, you know, idols and just... But there's so many things I look to, activities, that I think this is going to refresh my soul. And maybe it does for a little bit. It makes me feel better, like the placebo. Look, I'm taking the medicine, you know. But there are things that can... It's not really a, a source of joy and peace. Because, again, the Sabbath is not... Man's not created for the Sabbath. The Sabbath is made for man. And God says, this is what you need. Jesus says, this is what you need. He didn't, he didn't take away this, this Sabbath principle when he came. He fulfilled it. And I do think if you are in a, a lot of work where you have to work on Sundays, that you should take another day or another time to get the refreshment you need in the Lord. I think that's okay. Some of us have jobs we have to work on Sunday. But man... What are the joy and peace placebos? What are things we're looking to to give routine to our lives that we can enjoy, but they're actually taking life away? And I'm going to let you fill in the blank. (laughs) What is giving shape? What, what, What do I... What is my... Give structure to my week and to my month and to my year. That's not find the. That's not looking to the Lord for the refreshment and the rest that I, my soul really needs. Refreshment in life, refreshment in the gospel, refreshment in God's people, refreshment in what who God is and what He's done. And taking time to stop and go, God has me. God is going to provide. God is working through this hard thing with my job, with my family, with my relationship, in my own soul. I don't have to keep striving. I can take time off and look to Him and rest in Him and be refreshed 
in who He is. Routine for living, refreshment in life, and finally relishing the promise. Real quick, this last point. Look at... Think about these feasts for a minute and think about where God's people are. They're at the foot of Sinai. And they don't know it yet, but they're going to spend the next 40 years in the wilderness. What do these, what do these feasts have to do with? Harvest. <laughs> You're sitting there going, all right, when you bring in the harvest, they're going, we don't even have fields. We don't have land. But okay, we'll do it. I mean, I was, I was sitting there going, okay. Moses reading it for the first time. Like, did, I miss, did I miss? Did he skip a page? Where are we? You know. But what is it? It's anticipating that God would bring them into Canaan. Even then. Like, this is what you get to do when you get to the land of promise. God's going to fill His promise. And even, even when they fail to go in, and they wait those 40 years, and that generation dies out except for Joshua and Caleb. This is still there. The book of the covenant. Still there. Still something they're anticipating. And so when you, when you, when you read this stuff, you're, you're, you're acknowledging that, yes, I need, to, I need to recognize the Sabbath principle. I need to rest. But it's always anticipating a greater Rest, a greater experience of the Sabbath, the Sabbath principle. And then, okay, so they finally get there. And then they can follow these, these customs and these, these laws and these feasts. But, but then we read, David writes in Psalm 95, if you can turn there, Psalm 95, verse 7. For He is our God and we are the people... Wait, is that right? Yes. Okay. We are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Today, okay, the time of David, way past Moses, way past the coming into the land of promise. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts at, the, at Meribah as on the day of Massa and on the, in the wilderness when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof that they had seen my work. For 40 years I loathe that generation. They are a people who go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Therefore I swore my wrath. They shall not enter my rest, my Sabbath. The author of Hebrews, this is familiar to you, the author of Hebrews picks up this thought and says this, He says, and the passage says, this is Hebrews 4, verse, verse 5. He said, the passage said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest... God would not have spoken of another day later on. 
So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. What does all that mean? When we think about the Sabbath, when we think about this Sabbath principle and this routine of life, as we think about the refreshment that He wants His people to have, if it was just, hey, I'm giving you a day off, and that was all it meant, that'd be great. But if that's all it was, that's all it is, okay, great. But the Sabbath, He talks of another Sabbath. David does. And the author of Hebrews is going, why would he do that? If the rest they were longing for was this land of promise, why would he be talking about another rest yet to come? And that's when the author of Hebrews says, it's because it was all that was anticipating the Sabbath rest, the being the, the salvation we have in Christ. Christ is the fulfillment of the Sabbath. That, that His coming was bringing in the rest that our, our souls long for. The peace that we long for is in Him. It's not something God just gives. It is God Himself. So when we take time out, when we stop, we're refreshed in what God has done and what God is doing and also we're anticipating like the coach goes, remember what we're remember what we're playing for. All right, remember the remember what we're doing. Remember the outcome on the Sabbath when we rest and refresh the Lord. We're looking ahead to that day of His coming, to enjoying that eternal Sabbath, that eternal rest with Him forever. Not just that we chill out, but you know, just but just it's being with Him. It's Him making all things new. Not making all new things, but all things new. Renewing you, renewing me. Fixing what's broken in this world so that it's no longer laborious. It's no longer taxing. It's no longer any thorns and thistles. But we're longing for the day of when He recreates you and me and everything in the universe to be conformed to His will. Where the kingdom comes into its fullness. So why, again, why, why is the Sabbath? Is it, it's more than just a day off. It's a day to relish what He's done, but also look ahead to what we're living for. Which is Him. And being with Him forever. And that gives you and me strength and, and refreshment to go into the rest of the week, to go into dealing with the trials and tribulations and hurts that are very present. This is not a just act like nothing bad's going on. No, this is because life's hard. <laughs> Stop, be refreshed in who I am and my great love for you. And I will sustain you. I will keep you. I will bring you all the way home. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this, your word. Help us. Forgive us for in the ways we, we look for other things 
besides you. Again, the Sabbath is not something to be worshipped in itself. It's not something to be kept and be legalistic about it. We're not saying that this is what merits our salvation, but because you, Lord Jesus, have done the work, because you gave your life for us, and we're about to celebrate that and remember that and rejoice in that and, and, be, and, and receive the means of grace as we take the, the Lord's Supper, because you have done the work of salvation, because you, Heavenly Father, did it out of love, and you, Holy Spirit, uh, convinced our hearts and changed our hearts so we can believe and, and cling to you. Because of these things, Lord, you said, I want you to stop, I want you to rest, I want you to be refreshed in the goodness of who I am. Lord, help us to do that. And if we can't do it on the first day, on the Lord's Day, when you were raised again to new life, on the Christian Sabbath, Lord, help us to find times to not just, not just get sleep, not just to rest our bodies, but to our souls to find rest in you and in your, your power, uh, the power of salvation to all who believe. Uh, thank you, Lord. Give, give us, uh, help us, give us the grace, the ability, and by your grace, to... Make this the routine of our lives. It's stopping. It's working and stopping and looking to you for the comfort and peace and joy we need. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.